Hello and welcome back to Impulse Chats. I have Jack Hodgson joining me today of Jack's Patch. He is an urban farmer from London and Jack runs his own successful no-dig permaculture market garden and I have so many questions to ask him. But before we hop into that, my name is Sarah Barnes, if we haven't met before, and you can find me on Instagram at impulseyoga underscore. This recording is going to be going out on YouTube, on my YouTube channel, um, and I highly recommend you check out the video because Jack's got some show and tell stuff for us. And also it will be going out on iTunes. So all you need to do is search Impulse Chats with Sarah Barnes and you will find that. And please don't forget to subscribe. So Jack, thank you so much for joining me. Yo, what's up? You good? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Very good. Um, so yeah, let's, let's not waste any time. Please share with us some information about your background, your journey, and how and why you came to work in your field. So, guys, it's, a, it's a bit of a mad story. So back in 2013, um, I left to go to Australia to do, like, just to live, work, travel, live the beach life, surf. Um, and then to get a second year visa, because I was enjoying my first year so much, I, I realized I had to do 88 days agricultural work. So um, luckily, just the little town I was in called Yamba on the east coast of Australia, Byron Bay. Um, I mean, it was such a nice spot to be. You kind of didn't want to leave to do farm work. But luckily, one day a, a farmer come into the hostel and was like, oh, I need a group of guys to come give me a hand, just clear all this, like uh, all these weeds. And he was putting in like loads of lemon and lime trees on these swales, but with a heck of a lot of work had to be done. So we helped him out for the day. Um, so it was about half an hour from the beach, pretty much uh, inland on this like beautiful, um, I, I can't, can't remember how many acres, say like 10 acre homestead. Um, but when we got there, it was like, Oh, this is nice. This ain't like a proper farm. This is, this is something a bit like it felt homely, um, like vegetable patch and all this sort of stuff going on. Just a couple of animals, but they were roaming free. And uh, yeah, so he literally, it was like um, a kid's dream. He gave us a machete and a lighter and was like, cut loads of weeds down to make bonfires. We were like, right, sweet. So we just, we'd done so much work in one day. He was so impressed with us. He said, oh, can you guys come back? But So we just agreed with him if we could come back can you sign us off for the uh, 88 days agriculture work and he was like yeah he was like yeah sweet so we we had a really good time um out probably 95 percent of people that do farming in australia have a terrible time and I, I actually went to a terrible farm as well knocking almonds out of trees for 16 hours a day just for some money uh, but that's another story but um so yeah we worked on this it was a permaculture farm um, so I'd never heard the word permaculture um, and we'll get into that later as well. But it was just the way that the farm, like all the animals were roaming free. Um, the vegetable patch was like super abundant. Um, and I don't think there was like much of a water system as well. It was like he was using mulches to like harvest rain, harvest rain on his house. Um, and I remember the, right, the water coming out of his sink went down to like a banana tree to feed the banana tree. So it was very, I'd just never seen anything like it. And always as a kid, I was into nature. So I was kind of like, kind of just looking around in kind of amazement what this guy was doing. And um, the first day we was there and we ate 
uh, lunch with him. We, he would just go, go into the garden, pick tomatoes, leeks, this, that and the other. And it was, honestly, it was the first time up to the age of like, so I was 24 at the time that I'd ever eaten a vegetable. Um, just because the flavour, I couldn't believe like what stuff actually tastes like. I was like, oh my God, is that, does that what tomato really tastes like? I feel like I've been robbed up until then of uh, what this food actually tasted. So something changed in my head that, oh my God, this is what food tastes like. And after being there over time, my mind changed um, on everything. Like before I left, I was working in London as an electrician on a building site, completely polar opposite to what I do now and going to CAFs with uh, other builders. And I didn't care about food. It was like, oh, I'm just eating for substance. Not, I'm not going to a cool cafe to eat something that I want to eat or because it's um, set in a certain way they do, or whether they do kimchi or whatever. I'd never had an avocado up until I was the age of 24. So going to Australia was like a new for everything for me and a real big change. Um, but yeah, so I went from uh, this farm, worked there for 88 days, learning all the time, um, realizing what real food tastes like, how he was farming. It kind of was like going in slowly, uh, but it wasn't until uh, kind of like I left Australia that I really got into it. But he, he founded organic farming in Australia, so he was telling us a lot about it. He was making us all change our ways when we was going to the supermarket or going to the farmer's market would only choose organic food just because of some of the stuff he was saying about non-organic food so i come home from australia back to london and then i was like oh my god where the hell do i get organic food i was just real real struggling like i'm on the border so i'm on a border of east london essex and i mean cool coffee shops kind of didn't exist in 2015 there was a few in london but they were dotted about not like now where it's kind of everywhere you turn you can kind of get a good coffee or a decent bit of lunch and people are understanding the relationships of that food but yeah I, I had to go to whole foods in london to try and get some stuff and even then it's it's still food that's traveled or it's not exactly local so at, at, like every 25 year old does they get an allotment got ripped by my mates when i come home they were like you turn into a right hippie what are you doing um and then i realized i uh I was even not going to the pub on a Friday with them. I was like head torture and shoveling manure on a Friday night thinking I've just got to do this. There was something in me like this, this overwhelming feeling of like, I have to make a change. Like, or the, my favorite quote is like, be the change you wish to see in the world. So it's like, if I can't find what I'm looking for, I need to be that person. Um, so yeah, I, I got an allotment, had some success um, but I was also missing the fact that I was hot, like I was not traveling anymore and I was home. So um, wanting to learn more and to travel, I kind of, after like my first couple of months, like growing food, um, it was like November, kind of end of the season. So obviously on my journey of discovering a little bit more about permaculture, reading some books, um, it got to like midwinter and I was like, oh, I, can't, I can't be here anymore. So I typed in permaculture in Google. The f as I just said, the first hit of where it's his permaculture course I'm going into. So first course hit, uh, the first hit on Google was Binca Tierra, which means earth farm in Spanish. I was like, where's that? It said Costa Rica. Boom, I booked it on the Thursday and I was there on the Saturday. 
I just was so spontaneous. So I went from midwinter here to middle of the jungle with a suitcase, um, just like <laughs> just plucked in the middle of the jungle. And yeah, I just threw myself into an experience that since then I've just, it kind of blew my mind. So this place was um, a food forest. So it's like Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory, Willy, um, Charlie in the chocolate factory, but built on a plant-based version. So everything on this farm was uh, edible up to 90%. And if it wasn't edible, it was medicinal. So uh, just a little bit of explanation of what I mean. So as we were walking around the farm, there was pathways of this like matted grass and they were like, pick up, pick it up. So if you went like that, boom, it was peanuts. So you should peanut shoot up a little grass shoot and they'd planted peanuts all over the farm to get you from A to B. And even the paths were edible, which I was just like, it's so, so mind-blowing. Um, but yeah, so I'd done my permaculture course in Costa Rica for three weeks in the middle of the jungle, which was completely off-grid as well. So super immersed in it. Um, but definitely that was the start of my uh, plant-based journey as well, just being having to eat everything that was on this produced off this farm. So yeah, after that become vegan because I was like really thrown in the deep end, but I didn't, I just like lost my taste for me. I didn't want to go there anyway. I'd watched a few documentaries that turned me off anyway, but that was like immersed in it and definitely made that change in my head. So yeah, that's kind of my journey. And then come home, uh, started applying permaculture and then realizing that everyone on my allotment that year was looking at my plot. I was the youngest guy there. And they were like, how are you getting so much success? Um, and they'd be breaking the back, digging and stuff like that. And I'd be there sipping tea, just doing my thing. And um, yeah, so I kind of um, really got my permaculture principles laid in. Just everything had a symbiotic relationship with each other. Introducing more flowers so the bees would pollinate my stuff more. And then I'd just be going around town picking up coffee waste and food waste um on my like dutch cargo bike got one of those bikes with a big box on the front so like you couldn't not spot me they were like who's this kid what is he doing picking up coffee i lost all inhibition for ke people caring what i look like as well just was like this needs to be done um but yeah by doing that i got noticed um by a girl um a local girl's got a yoga studio and she was like oh my god my nan would love you and then her nan owns 64 acres. And then, yeah, the journey of having my farm started from there. She offered me land and then never looked back. And now Jack's Patch was like born. And, and now I've got like caught that quarter acre market garden. And now I'm doing my thing and selling produce to cafes, restaurants and local boxes as well. So that's quite a journey. <laughs> I'm yeah, it's really going yeah, really going into the deep end. Um, it kind of brings me quite nicely on to my next question. You sort of touched upon it before, um, especially when you mentioned when you came back and you were trying to buy, you know, organic produce, but you were still having to get it from places like Whole Foods that have to fly in. So in your experience and with what you know and what you specialise in, what do you feel are the problems that are generated from buying we'll just speak about fruit and vegetables, right? What are the problems generated from buying those things from supermarkets? 
Um, over my understanding of like being in this scene and watching documentaries and even try, like trying food, like obviously I'm eating all my own food now, is A, the taste is unbelievably different, but that's because of the soil it's grown in. So the soil is bringing up all the nutrients that's in it. So like if you look after the soil, it looks after you. So healthy soil, healthy plant, healthy you. It's like a, just a basic, basic understanding. Um, but then that ultimately leads to healthy planet as well. Um, so yeah, it's just a win-win. But yeah, so all, those, all that nutrition is being soaked into the plant. And then you're eating that nutrition, but it has each of that stuff like changes its flavor. Uh, For example, uh, I had had Epsom salts, which is like an organic way to add magnesium to my tomatoes and my tomatoes pop like with flavor because you're giving them what they're deficient in, but in a natural way. So instead of like chemically adding stuff, I'm giving it that little kick of like magnesium in like organically. And yeah, it just changes the texture of the tomato, the, uh, the, the sweetness um but also yeah just feeding that soil with like good compost is all those things are drawing up into the plant changing the sugars of the fruit and then that goes into you but also when fruit and veg is traveled by the minute almost it's losing nutrition so i feel like i think i heard a stat that corn sweet corn loses its whole nutrition or down to 10 percent within 20 minutes so unless you've eaten corn fresh and cooking it there and then, um, or it gets frozen almost instantly, you've never ate corn that's like nutritionally good for you. Um, and, but yes, yeah, so a lot of plants, for example, lettuce, when I pick my lettuce, there's like an actual, it's milky. There's actually like a milk dripping out of it. Um, obviously that's just, it's like, uh, it's juices inside, but that, that all that milk has all the nutrition and all its flat like real flavor so like if you go buy like supermarket stuff it's like it's actually dead on the end it can it browns off pretty quickly so um my lettuce mixes have a lot more flavor and i also make sure that i pick that day and that people get the boxes the same day it's picked and then that's up to them whether they eat it straight away or they refrigerate it and but, but anyway that is far better than what you're going to get at the supermarket uh, so people should look to look look to shop local or shop at least within the UK. So like stuff like Riverford and stuff like that. Um, the the quicker you can get it farm to table, the better. Um, or even if you go to the supermarket and buy say like asparagus, um, you can go Waitrose. You buy asparagus, and even in season in the UK, it's coming from Kenya or Peru, and you're like why is it coming from kenya or peru like we grow it here and yeah it's just nutritionally dead so if anything there's probably a lot of us are like actually um malnourished in a way we think we're eating good but we're eating probably 10 to 50 percent less um than what we should be um one tomato today uh, from the supermarket um you have to eat five to get the nutrition of one of one tomato from the 1950s because of like the chemicals we're using, the lack of nutrition in our food now from the supermarket. So that's a pretty, some shocking stats there as well. That's, it's actually quite scary. And I wonder whether, um, I, I was living abroad before and 
in, in Indonesia and having a lot of the local fruits and the local vegetables. And I found when I came back here, I've noticed that, you know, naturally, normally I, I, without even thinking, I'm obsessed with eating fruit. But whereas when I've been back here, it's like my body doesn't want it as much. And I wonder if that's something to do with what's going on with what's in the fruit and vegetables that I've been having because they're not organic. You know, they're not coming from like the best sources. So maybe there's something going on there as well. Um, um, So uh, it's a big question. um, And uh, I know some people are going to have some idea of what permaculture is. Um, but m- even my understanding of permaculture is quite, quite, quite limited. So I wondered if you could explain a little bit more of uh, how you understand permaculture to be. Sure. So um, it's, a, it's a hard thing to explain, but it's just more that working with nature than against nature. Like, so um there's a little quote i saw once on a youtube comment that i found quite beautiful but it's like be more like a bee and not a locust where um like a locust in terms of uh, reference here we're going to say like is monoculture so very destructive um it's very selfish we're not giving back to the land we're just taking so i think monoculture agriculture is um we're mining the soil we're not actually farming it so we're just taking away from the land and and then it desertifies um, yeah, where the bee is a is pollinating, so it's giving back to the land. Um, it's very selfless, so it's coming back and it's creating honey for other people. So that you could be saying that's growing food for your friends and family. Um, and it's just it's a way of working in harmony. So, for example, like in my garden now, instead of having like just a row of one thing, I'll interplant. So tomatoes I'll grow with basil and marigolds. So the marigolds deter away pests that are going to attack the tomato and same with the basil. So the basil has a pungent smell that uh, like a black fly doesn't like. So it avoid going to the tomato. So that symbiotic relationship works in the garden. And then it's really weird. If it works in the garden, it seems to work on a plate together as well. So tomato and basil is like very simple Italian food that works well in culinary terms so i find it really weird that how in nature it works together but on a plate it works together as well um and i find that kind of very fascinating but yeah so there's loads of stuff like uh there's a thing called the three sisters um which is uh three plants that plant really well together this is a native american thing as well so you plant corn beans and then like a squash, like be like courgette or like pumpkin or, or butternut squash. So the butternut squash crawls across um, all up, like all in between where the, the corn is standing. So that actually protects the soil. When soil's protected, um, it actually creates a microclimate, so it keeps it more moist. Um, and also that 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 soil is going to stay not uh, it's not going to get dry out, meaning there's less moisture. Um, but then also the corn's going to be standing tall and the beans actually grow around the corn. Um, so it's actually using the corn as a cane. So you're growing three things in a small area um, and you're getting three products out of it. But also the bean adds nitrogen, so it pulls nitrogen out of the air, turns it into nitrates and it feeds the corn and it feeds the uh, squash as well. So it makes it nice and green. And it's just, yeah, a beautiful relationship. 
And um, yeah, I just find it so fascinating how nature can work together. Like you don't have to grow stuff separately. It's not like, oh, the corn grows there, the beans grow there, the squash grows there. No, you bring them all together and it actually benefits each other rather than getting caught up and uh, like growing too close together so they don't grow to size. So yeah, no, I think it's a beautiful thing. We just need to look at we're the stewards of the land. Um, and when we're the stewards, we uh, can work. We're a part of the ecosystem. So it's an ecology. We're a part of it. We're as much of it as the bees, the insects, the worms, etc. Instead of like, um, it's, like it's not like so much a pyramid, which I think a lot of gardening can be. We think we're the top um, and we have to put in like we have to spray weed killer. We have to uh, put down slug pellets to kill the slugs. No, no, no. Work with it. And when you work with it like it seems to feel like the pests actually uh, deter away from your plants because you bring in the beneficial plants you if you you've got like aphids that come they eat all like they can eat nasturtiums they can eat all your brassica plants if you encourage ladybirds ladybirds annihilate them so you just got to put up like ladybird houses or certain flowers to entrap ladybirds it's kind of a beautiful thing. So you just sometimes instead of spraying stuff, like you just wait it out because when there's an abundance of one pest, the predator is going to come along. But if you attract it in, it's going to come along quicker and it will, it will do its job naturally. Um, but we can, we can scale this up for sure. We can rewild areas and let nature fix itself. And um, uh, like we don't need to be doing this like huge monoculture. Really, we can... We can bring it, give it back to the land and nature sorts itself out. I hate that we think that we're the best and we have to put in all these inputs. It just sucks. Like we can, nature's perfect and we just need to allow it to be perfect and we just need to step back, observe it and fix it naturally in a more holistic way. But going back to being stewards of the land is like, we are very destructive and we can tear places pretty quickly, but we also have the power like no other animal that we can plant a garden in a day. Like the bees and that they do their job, but the fact that we can plant trees, like we could plant like a whole forest with enough people in a day, but plant it in a certain way, in a permaculture way that it, it works naturally, not just like tree, 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 tree. And then it's, that doesn't work out. It has to be like tree, then a bush plant, like more like a canopy. Um, but yeah, we have that power and I think that's super, like, that's, that's, that's cool that we, uh, we have this power, we can take it away, but we can also use it really quickly. And, um, um, I'm just gonna, uh, it, there's like one or two places that I've been to that I can explain permaculture a little bit more that will just kind of click in people's brains instead of me spilling it, spilling it. I'll give you some, like, um, some pictures in your head. Um, but so, for example, um, when I was in Finca Tierra, the earth farm in, in Costa Rica, um, I explained about the peanuts growing everywhere. Um, but even so, we were off grid in the middle of the jungle and we captured all the water on the buildings that were up high on the land. Um, so with all that water catchment, um, we had showers down low on the land. So the pipes was gravity fed. So the water was naturally no electricity, no pumps needed. It was gravity fed to the showers. But during that process of it coming down to us, it was wrapped around in a pipe and that pipe was within a compost heap and that compost heap can get into insane temperatures to the point where you could, like, you could 
push it away, barely put your hand in. And that's all the microbes breaking that compost heat down to turn it into soil. And then when we was having hot showers, that, that was warming up the, the water. So we'd have a hot shower. And I was like, oh, my God, that is so simple, so natural. Um, and then we had plants dotted outside the showers that were natural shampoo. There's a one called Hawaiian ginger, which has like uh, almost like mini rice paddies. And the water was mixing with the nectar and you could squeeze the plant and just put it in your hair and it was natural shampoo. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing, this place. It was just so working with the land to get how we live in the Western world. It was like five-star off-grid living. Um, and I just found that so fascinating. Um, yeah, so that was like my experience with permaculture and how we can work with the land. Um, but there's also very interesting video that I recommend people to watch um, and it's typing uh, permaculture uh, in China um, and it's called like the Chinese plateau um, so I think if you type in permaculture Chinese plateau this video will come up um, and what it is is back in the 1990s a guy called John D. Lu filmed um, this area the size of Holland in the middle of China, in the middle of the mountains. And uh, what was happening is that they'd over-farmed it. So this whole um, whole mountain range had just desertified. So there was no uh, sh trees left. There was no um, grassland left for the animals to feed on. And the people become super poor. But what it was doing was the rain was hitting these mountains, going into the valleys. All that nutrition was being, um, all the kind of yeah all the soil all the goodness was being washed down into the river and it was turning into silt to the point where down in the mainland it was making these like bouncy castles of like silty rivers that people were standing on and like it was like it was just creating havoc further down and creating a lot of pollution so the chinese government got these people into um kind of changed the landscape by kind of cutting into the mountain. So it took, instead of the water just washing down into the uh, river, it would take longer if they actually cut swales into it. So it was almost like um, cutting like a Lego mountain. So it had like steps so the water had to travel longer. Um, but yeah, so they implemented permaculture into this land and they told all the guys to put the animals indoors, feed them hay for the next like, two three years as they were they got all the people back to the land to cut these swales in um and as doing that over 10 years of them doing that and then seeding it all again uh where the water was caught on the actual mountains um and using mulches and stuff like that in 10 years it turned into from desert to food forest and there's an amazing like before and after normally we're seeing like forest turn to desert and it's a lot of destruction but back in the 90s, they turned desert into forest. And now you should have seen like the farmer's markets. They're taking trucks of like apples and all these different types of veg. And now these people's profits have turned from like nothing to up to 300%. And it was like them all happy again and feeding each other and feeding the locals. And it was just showing how this can be done with like very, very simple techniques. And um, that's a beautiful thing. People power using going back to the land and using it holistically it's like we can do it we can create it so i've got a lot of hope but 
is the timing of that hope. We need to do it now. Thank you. That was very informative. Um, and you kind of mentioned quite a bit this concept of like relaxing the need to control all the time, like even with your own things that you do at home and things that you grow at home, you know, instead of like making one area just for tomatoes and one area for this, like figuring out a way to feed things in together. Um, and so that brings me on to asking you, what does no dig mean? Um, because you mentioned it in, your, in your, your Instagram bio and in your bio, and it's, you know, very much a part of what you do. So what does, what does that mean, no dig? So no dig is exactly what it says. You do not dig. So <laughs> um, it's just going back to where we have like for years, it's like dig for victory from back in the war, but and plowing and tilling. But actually what we're doing is we're releasing a lot of like carbon into the atmosphere uh, by, by tilling. That's on a big scale, but on a small scale, uh, the science of it's like really, really interesting. And it's, um, it's like, say you've got like a patch of land in your um, patch of grass in your back garden. Everything under that grass is like there for a reason. So there's a lot of fungal networks, mycelium networks, which is like before the fruiting of the mushrooms, the mycelium adds like an internet to the soil, which is way advanced than what we can even grasp. Um, but there's also billions of microbes under there that are not exposed when they're exposed to oxygen, when they're exposed to light, they're underground for a reason they actually die off so when we flip that soil uh we're potentially like killing a lot of microbes we're we're killing a lot of those fungal networks that actually um are there to talk to the plants which might sound very hippie to people but it's actually science um it's like been proven as well that uh it's like sending uh, nutrition trees and nutrition to baby trees to help them out and and that sort of thing so what we're trying to do is keep that network there keep those microbes there and instead of mining that soil like i was saying we're going to feed it so a very simple raised bed you can go on my instagram and see how how it's done and also the work of charles dowding which um is um he's like the godfather of this in the uk and across youtube as well he's very well loved um, because he's been doing it for 30 years and he can show the the yields people are getting if they dig and if they know dig um and i've done his course and i've met him a few times as well but what we're trying to do so going back to being in your garden you've got a patch of grass we say that you build a raised bed leave that grass there and you just want to layer it with cardboard first. So we're going to overlap it with cardboard, uh, maybe like eight inches or so. What that cardboard does. So obviously take any tape off, tape any, take any staples off and make sure it's plain cardboard, not waxy cardboard with print um, because you want it to break down. So that cardboard is carbon made from carbon and that actually feeds the soil and also worms love it as well. They like the uh, corrugation for them to make new pathways uh, so you wet that cardboard down, so you start the break up, breakdown process. Um, and that cardboard also blocks that light. So you're stopping the weeds coming through straight away. And then you want to put on top of that, um, like it can be like manure, like local manure or just organic compost. You can mix the two, um, but just organic compost that you can get from like garden centers and stuff. As long as it's a good growing medium, so your plants can grow in it straight away and, and they'll thrive, that is perfect. Um, but what you're doing is you're feeding the soil. And by feeding the soil, that 
mycelium network that's beyond it um, can actually access those uh, nutrients straight away. So if you dig it, the soil's got to fix itself first before it actually fix, um, gives nutrients to your new plant. So what they're saying is that uh, no dig, you're going to get results quicker and then your yields over your season are going to be higher. And that's been proven time and time again. Um, so yeah, as long as you focus on the soil health, that should be the main thing. Everything fixes itself. Um, so soil health is the most important thing. So in any aspect, it's not the plant that's sick, it's actually the soil. Uh, so people are trying to treat plants all the time. Like, oh, why are the leaves yellow or whatever? It's not the plant's fault, it's the soil's fault. Um, so, or it, you just got to fix the soil pretty much. So you just want to add nutrition to that soil. Um, so over time you can add like, um, like seaweed, liquid seaweed, or um, you can make comfrey tea. Comfrey is just like a plant that has loads of nutrients in, but you can harvest the leaves and make like a tea from like just water, just leave it in water for a couple of days. It does stink, but that's that mixed with nettles makes an unbelievable tea that you can add to your garden. Um, if you want to create a wormery, um, worms urinate loads, which is pretty gross, but you can actually make a wormery and then the urine, add that to the soil. It's like plant steroids. It just makes them pop, but these are all organic ways you can feed soil. Um, but yeah, um, so add cardboard on top of the soil then you want to add your organic compost uh, compost and then it's fine to plant straight away so you can plant anything straight away your seeds or plug plants and you're ready to go so you can set up a garden in a day i've shown how you can do it in 20 minutes if you've got all the right stuff and yeah you, you're just good to go and i've had a lot of before and afters through lockdown a lot of people go and touch me saying thanks jack for helping me and I'll guide them towards people to watch on YouTube as well as following my Instagram account. And they've had a lot of success. So it works. Uh, it's not, I'm no snake oil salesman. I'm not selling anything. It's like, it's free. These, these things are cheap to do like cardboard's free. Yeah. You can pick up soil for cheap. Um, yeah. You can pick up wood for cheap to make a raised bed. So there's no excuse. If you've got a garden, you've got to be growing some veggies. Yeah, that was very inspirational. And, um, and for anyone who is listening or watching, um, all those things that Jack has mentioned, like the YouTube and, and, and all the different people, I'm going to be putting that in the show notes as well. So if you're interested, you can go and find out more. Um, it will be under this video or, or under this podcast. Um, obviously, there is so much um, advice that can be given to people and sometimes I guess if you've never grown anything before it can seem a little bit overwhelming so what 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 few bits of advice would you give to someone who has never grown anything before um, and has a little patch of um, soil in their garden or maybe they've just got some, some, some space at home what's the most basic things uh, bits of advice that you would give to someone who wants to start getting in, into this but has never done it before and is feeling a bit overwhelmed by all the information so um before we get into it, I want to like also uh, extend that reach to people that are living in flats in the middle of London. Like you can grow food and that starts with like microgreens. Um, not a lot of people know about microgreens, but it's like the first seven to 10 days growth of like, say like a broccoli or radish um, or basil coriander. 
Um, you can grow these super, super densely in like, I'm literally a baked bean tin full of soil. Um, I've just done a collaboration with Mr. Organic, how we just upcycle the tin, sprinkle some seeds, a little bit of compost. And in seven days, you've got these microgreens and they're super nutritious, like four to 40 times more nutritious than if you grow it to maturity. Um, so it's like a slap of nutrition. You've grown it within seven days. So you've got that sense of achievement really quickly. Um, so you haven't got to wait a whole season and it could potentially die. Microgreens are so, so easy. Um, so I recommend people start with that, actually. And if you have got a bit of land and you want to uh, go into the garden, my first year of my allotment, I've actually bought plug plants. So the plants were already this big, kale plants, courgette plants, like cauliflower, lettuce. They were all already grown. And that being already grown is all you have to really do is put it in healthy compost and water it. There's no like slugs attacking it because it's baby seedlings like it's already got to like a decent size and you get success with your first year um and that success actually spurred me on because i was like if i feel like if i would have done seeds the first year um and it didn't work out i could have got discouraged but if you can actually go to a plant nursery um and there are a few about like you'd be surprised and you can go there buy the plants in or order online, already grown, and you've got a garden. Set it out the way you want. Look at um, how things should be distanced. Uh, get like a little garden book. Like, like I mean, this is super old. Like just a a gardening book that will tell you like uh, like lettuce seed depths. There's even apps on my phone, and it tell you like seed depths, seed uh, distances. Um, it's all out there. The, the information is out there. But I'd say microgreens. Or if you buy in some stuff, buy plug plants first instead of seeding. You're just going to get more success. Um, and then it was that, that those little wins really give you that little spur of like, you know what, like I've done well here. I've harvested some food. And believe me, you're going to taste it and you're not going to look back. And it's, I'm just a, a word of warning because it's a rabbit hole. Once you open that, once you go down it, you're never not growing food. It's, uh, it's something it's pretty addictive. I mean, like I'm a lad. 2013 never really grew anything in my life. Wasn't interested in gardening at all. Uh, grew my first plant, and then boom, like that's it. Now I'm a, I've got a farm, and it's like an addiction. So, yeah, it's like it, it's mad how it can, where it can take you. And um, yeah, I'm a massive geek for it. <laughs> What a nice addiction to have, though, <laughs> out of all of them. <laughs> mm. um, so yeah, sure. obviously, as you're giving out a lot of your, your, your energy and helping educate and also tending um, your farm space and the land. And, uh, and actually, before I move on to the next question, I want to ask, what do you do? when things get colder, I mean, we're in the UK right now and the temperature is about to take a bit of a, a, a bit of a change. What, what happens? Do you, do you continue growing the whole year through? Yeah. So last year was my first year on the farm. Like I don't remember on the allotment really ever. Um, I feel like I went away quite a lot in the winter, like, cause I was working full time. So I had a lot, I had more money to go travel in the winter and whatnot, but, Last year, actually, I did. I went traveling last year, but 
I kind of missed the boat. I got so excited from spring and summer, sowing and harvesting that all of a sudden it got cold and I was like, oh God, I've not got enough in the ground that's going to like produce to a decent size that when it goes, the, the frost come, it goes dormant and I can like slowly harvest stuff. Um, so I'd say buying stuff now, like plug plants now, like cauliflower, your lettuce, you can seed stuff like spinach, rocket, coriander, dill, um, uh, what else? Yeah, more just like loads of salad greens, pat choy is good to grow now, chard. Um, these are all good stuff to start now, but you can buy in stuff like, yeah, cauliflower, broccoli, um, cabbages, that sort of thing, like grow, get in the ground, like, um, and then, yeah, just let it fester over the next month or so while we've got a bit of decent weather until it gets cold. So this year I'm on it big time. So I've got like loads and loads, every bed's full with like all winter stuff, even Christmas. Like last year I went to a farmer's market. It was like, why the hell did I not grow Brussels sprouts, leeks? Like I didn't think ahead because around Christmas, like people pay good money for like a stalk of broccoli, um, stalk of Brussels. And, but it's also like that heartwarming stuff of like potatoes at Christmas. And, and like, I'm going to do like uh, Christmas boxes, but also it's like, you need like you feeding your, your body craves certain foods um, during winter. So like we're going through a time where we've got squash and like our body and our chakras, if you're into that is like um, we go through like different rainbow and like eating more orange colors right now is like a big thing through autumn. Like, so you've got like orange peppers, um, you've got like pumpkins, um, and yeah, just certain things like that. It's just like our body crazy, like chilies and like that, that sort of like nutri um, high nutrition, like carbohydrate food. And then when we come to winter, like there's, there's certain foods we're going to need, like uh, darker greens, um, just to keep, to fill ourselves up through the hunger gap really. And like also eat, like this year I'm going to be trying to make like preserves and canned goods and like sauerkraut from the cabbages, like to just kind of, fill that hunger gap and also make make that like food stretch a little bit more because i feel like we've lost that um and yeah I, I think that's becoming more of a big thing like especially with gut health like we're not eating enough bacteria um and getting in that good bacteria is super important um i've kind of got gone off on a tangent there of um where i was going with that but yeah last year i went to bali missed out but I got loads of inspiration in Bali that when I come back, I was like, Oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. Um, but yeah, so guys get your stuff in now for, for winter. There's a lot of stuff to grow. Um, but also for myself as well, I've got a shipping container where I'll grow indoor food of microgreens, which I was explaining about a second ago, uh, which are high nutrition immunity boosting as well. Uh, that's going to help us kick those colds and especially COVID through this time. And also mushrooms. Mushrooms are the big thing this year that I'm doing and I'm geeking out on now that's going to see me through winter, I believe. Uh, so like organic oyster mushrooms and uh, hopefully shiitake mushrooms, that sort of thing to try and uh, something different, a new protein source, another edge to my business. But I believe mushrooms are the future for like replacing meat as well. And 
in terms of um, where you get your inspiration, where do you go? Um, what happens when you feel a little bit demotivated? Um, do you go to a particular teacher or books or are there any documentaries that you've seen recently that you really loved or maybe in the past that have been really pivotal pivotal in your life or maybe there are some podcasts or any Instagram accounts where do you go when you want inspiration um yeah definitely I think I follow I've filled my Instagram full of people that um like either where I am or a little bit ahead of me and it's almost like you see the inspiration from what they're doing and it's like the end goal and I like to follow a lot of different accounts and I see inspiration in all of them um also as well when I first come back and realized oh I can make this a business there's a I got a book called The Urban Farmer and this guy um Curtis Stone he he kind of was farming people's back gardens because of access to land is kind of difficult. So he kind of approached people with large back gardens and asked to farm them as long as they get produce as well. Um, yeah, I found that really, really inspiring. So before I got land, like that's the kind of road I was going to go down, but it's more um, speaking to local people and realizing there's a shortage of food. And then like maybe there's people with land and maybe they are like, yeah, dying for someone to come along and do something productive with it. Um, but yeah, so that got me into it. Um, I mean, Charles Dowding, that guy is like unbelievable. He's like the Attenborough of gardening. Like he's got a soothing voice. He, everyone loves him and it's like all spectrums. I've got mates my age who love him up to like, um, like a full age range of people in their like 70s who are like still watching his YouTube and getting inspiration um, he's done a lot for the whole no dig movement. Um, and yeah, just, I mean, there's loads of stuff on YouTube that I watch, but for me, documentaries, like I really love like, um, soaking in a documentary and being super inspired. So I've got like a few documentaries here that I've like watched recently. And then also up, up until like five years ago, that really got me into it. So there's like a few, there's a new one coming out called Kiss the Ground, um, which I think Holly Rose was talking about, she was talking about before. Um, super, like that's going to be a big, big thing, but that's more towards no dig. It's like a no-till regenerate, regenerative agriculture movement where we can use like, it, even if you're vegan or not, we need animals to like help heal this planet in a more holistic way. So like animals being back on pasture, like what they do is like unbelievable. So if you look at the USA before the West got there, like the Buffalo and the grazing of the Buffalo, like cows have got like a natural compass to go like North, South, East, West, but they like, they grow against the prairies in um, the USA. Like they walked across the land and as they're pooing, eating the grass, they're pooing, and they're stamping that carbon back in and it's just made like super fertile soil. So rewilding, going back to like how it should be, lots of trees and lots of animals, like all playing their part. I mean, like there's an amazing thing about in the Yellowstone, like they added wolves back and then they were naturally culling the deer. And as they were culling the deer, the trees were like able to recover. Um, beavers were going back to the land and, felling certain trees and making the rivers change like it's 
I mean, we just really need to take a step back from nature and let it do its thing. Um, but yeah, so the need, the, there's another one, the need to grow great documentary, um, about urban farming and, uh, just how we can go back to the land. Uh, sustainable is on Netflix. Um, it's about a farmer getting like local growers together to grow certain stuff for local chefs, creating a bit of a buzz around the food scene. Um, chef's table has a few documentaries, um, a few where the farmers and the chefs really link up well together. And that shows like a real, like I love working with chefs. Like I geek out what they do, but they geek out what I do. And we try and work together to grow certain things, to get different flavor profiles, different textures. Um, and yes, yeah, so like I'm working with like food by John Lawson in Lee, um, the Royal hotel in South end, um, the yoga factory have just taken some stuff in South end as well. Um, zero waste shop, um, the refill room. And then, yeah, I'm going up to London today to work with some guys as well with like edible flowers and certain herbs and stuff, but also like, um, another documentary. Sorry, I'm just going <laughs> tangents here. Uh, but another documentary that got me into urban farming was, a. Uh, it's called like the Brooklyn Grange or the Brooklyn Grange. I think it's called, but they did the first rooftop farm in New York city and they're just doing amazing stuff. And it shows how much food you can grow in a small space and it doesn't even have to be on land. It's on a rooftop. So they bring the soil to the rooftop and it shows what we can do in cities. Like we can have living walls. We can have bees on top of rooftops, farms on top of rooftops soaking in that water that would naturally just drain into our sewer systems and potentially create flooding in the cities we can like soak it all up and also for the buildings as well it actually um accu accumulates the like temperature fluctuation so then all the heat from the building can warm up that soil for it for season extension but also the soil cools down the building in the summer so it's like this, it's just a no-brainer for me. It's just like the science behind it is so positive that we really need to like look into it um, and really push for that whole whole movement. And where do you go when you need to recharge? Because obviously you're giving out your energy a lot. You're doing a lot of different projects. I know you're a guy that's in high demand and what you're doing is becoming more and more popular. More and more restaurants are going to be wanting to get involved. I know just from my own, the, the, the cycles that I roll in, everyone wants to start growing their own food now um, and they want to do it going in the direction where you're at in the permaculture way um not in this way of the old style of kind of controlling no pesticides you know so what do you do to recharge yourself like how do you get grounded after a big day of having to do all the different things that you're doing yeah I, I, sorry i think i went off a tangent two questions before and you kind of asked that a little bit but for me um I'm lucky enough that I I'm doing, if I was doing this for money, like it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the same. It's like pure passion um, because I can be there from like five in the morning to 10 o'clock at night and it's not work for me. It's like, I love being out there. So the garden naturally anchors me down and grounds me quite a lot. Um, but then also there's a time where like it's, it can be a lot and a lot of pressure and stuff like that. So I make sure um, 
I do love like little trips away. Like I've been Lake District already this year. Like I love being in nature, but in a time where I can go for walks and like I'm in nature so much, I want to protect it. And I love seeing new nature. I see like the world with new eyes, especially after that permaculture course. It made me more. It was almost like a trip in a way. Like it made me so connected to nature in a way I didn't think was possible. It sees that you see the world with different eyes, the way it's all clicking together. Um, and also I love surfing. I mean, like for me, I feel like mixing learning about farming in Australia and being on a board in the middle of the ocean, like there was some kind of connection with like sitting out there and being with your thoughts in like a natural way. And um, I, I just remember like you're really 90% of the time with surfing, you're not on a wave. You're just sitting on the board, like padding around and you're, you're getting this connection with nature, with the ocean, you read in the ocean to see where, how the waves are coming at you. But something clicks in your head that you can't not be in the ocean and not have like this mad appreciation for nature. So I feel like the surfing gave me more of an appreciation and then mixing that with learning about farming. Like it was just like, a realization like an epiphany that oh my god i need to do something that connects me back to back to nature back to the land like also like grounding your like grounding yourself by like having your feet in the soil like touching the soil even eating food that's got dirt on it like you're getting b12 in um and i just feel i mean i couldn't be any more like sometimes the get my girlfriend calls me like the turtle from finding Nemo. I couldn't be any slower sometimes, but the garden does it like makes you even like more. I, yeah. I wouldn't say maybe a drip, but it's made me more slower. Like, but cause I like observe stuff a lot more, but I'm more connected to it. So I feel like the garden anchors me a lot. Well, but de-stresses for me is like surfing and like walking in nature and just eating good food with good, like with good friends. I've, I've seen to have got a really good network of people since following my passion. So yeah, I'd say, I'd say that I'm lucky enough that my job is anchoring in a way because I'm not, I'm doing my passion, but I'm working in nature and that's like everything. And where's the best place that people can go if they want to connect with you, if they want to find out more where, where's the best spot? Is it Instagram? And also what offerings do you have coming up? Um, where can people find you? Are you doing any talks in the next six months or have you got any programs or, or, or anything like that on the horizon? So I think pre COVID I was doing like a lot more talks. I had like loads lined up for this year at certain events um, and also like retreats as well. So like they, they would have been great places to probably um, get in co- like probably watch what I'm talking about or, or whatever. And also workshops. I had a few lined up. So definitely next year, I'm sure like once this goes back to semi normality where I can have people down, um, I do actually have volunteer days now. But instead of like doing a workshop, I actually accept volunteers in like little chunks through the week. Uh, just to help me out but as you're helping me out you're definitely getting something from it so i've had people email me but i feel like instagram is the most interactive platform for me because i'm on it more so and if i get a notification i'm more tend to respond to that quicker than an email where it can get a little bit lost or but so i'd say instagram over facebook over my website but my website will have courses lined up for next year soon 
and then probably um i think over winter i'm going to put like a ebook slash courses together for next year so so next spring i'd say watch this space for, for stuff that's coming out um but for now it's more like if you want to get in touch get go through instagram and, and just maybe if you want to do some volunteering or just want to chat and ask some questions yeah that's the best place to to get in contact with me Great. And that's Jack's patch on Instagram. And I'll make sure that I put that link as well underneath this recording. Um, and also all of the things that we've been discussing as well, um, all the different people and the different programs that um, Jack has mentioned and also the documentaries. I'll put some links to that there as well. Um, so thank you so much for coming on, Jack. I feel so inspired and I'm really, really excited for um, for everything that you're talking about and i know that there's going to be lots of people listening who are going to be wanting to get involved um so thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate you giving us your time today absolutely just before i go i just uh, wanted to show you my uh yugoslavian finger fruit which is like a type <laughs> of which is a type of squash super weird um but it's just showing i i like to tie to say that these 94% of biodiversity in seed has been lost in the last 200 or 200 years. And it's just showing that we as people need, as I say, be stewards of the land and bring that seed back. So we need to eat more biodiversity for our health. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to slip that in now. Probably didn't say it early. It's been sitting here staring at me, this thing, but it's just showing that we just need to look past the supermarket walls, get in this food, get in this uh, biodiverse nutrition as well. That is, different colors of certain things that we get different uh, flavor texture and nutrition profiles so yeah try and grow stuff that you want to eat but also is cool save that seed and then together we can go forward and live in a more diverse planet what a beautiful message to end on thank you so much jack and thank you to everyone who's been listening or watching um and please don't forget to subscribe and i will catch you again next time for more impulse chats thank you bye peace thank you